Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. I'm Ian Abernethy, and I'm back. I'm back. I know it's been a while since the last podcast. Yeah, two months, maybe more. We're maybe edging towards three. Uh, I am very sorry about the delays, of course. But as you know, it's because we've been busy. The new super revamped website is up and running at ianabernethy.com and at co.uk now as well. So the .com forwards to the co.uk. It's still .com. That, that's where the, the bulk of the site still is. It's just that the the site, the, the hosting company we were using for the old one. Uh, couldn't handle the new one. <laughs> uh, it demands too much kind of computing power. So, um, But the great thing about the new site is it allows me to update very regularly, very easily. So it's no longer kind of a once a month update. We've added uh, um, a podcast up there that we did from the Expo, which I'll come to in a minute, uh, has been added recently. We've added uh, loads of footage of uh, myself and Steve Williams doing uh, pad work drills. Uh, I've added some uh, Bunkai-based um, drills on there, video footage as well. Uh, the new forums... Um, really kicked off, you know, so there's been some really good discussions on there too. Um, so yeah, keep popping along the website. All the new stuff will appear across the top bar um, as, as and when it's added. And we have the Twitter feed now as well, of course. So I'm at uh, Ian Abernethy on Twitter. Um, and what we'll do with that is when there's anything... Uh, but, you know, particularly new or of interest, we'll make sure that we uh, we tweet that out if you want to know immediately. And we still have the once-monthly newsletters as well, of course, so you, you'll get to know all that's going on. But the good thing is there'll be more going on more frequently. Um, relating to these podcasts, a couple of bits of news on, on those. Because we have moved the podcasts off the blog and onto the main site, because we have a better quality uh, media player on there, and the site, the new site doesn't have restrictions on file size so for the old podcasts we couldn't have them any bigger than eight megs which meant some of the longer ones we had to reduce the quality a bit to get them down well we don't have to do that anymore so hopefully the audio quality should be improved a bit too one of the the byproducts of that is we've had to uh, resubscribe to itunes so we've now got um, there was the feed from the blog which has been archived and now we've got the podcast feed from the new website. So if you're listening to this podcast via iTunes, you've already got the right feed. Now he thinks this through for a second. <laughs> if you're not listening to this one via iTunes, then you've got the wrong feed, but I guess you might not know. So if you came to the website wondering where your podcast was and found it on you know, the, the Ian Abernethy site and you didn't see it on iTunes, you need to switch. If you just search my name, you find the, the other feed. And the, the old feed will be knocked off shortly anyway. So if your feed's disappeared as well, again, subscribe to the new one. You'll re-find it. Um, other podcast news. I'd asked everybody uh, for their views and feedback on the podcast, and I've got loads, which is just great. I mean, every podcast on average, we get about two and a half thousand listeners. I think you know, so within the first kind of you know five to six weeks of a podcast going up, so and and you know, lots of you wrote, and I really appreciate you doing that. Um, a couple of things that you said, you know, you liked the length, you know, you thought the length apparently it was ideal for the average drive to work or bus journey to work or whatever. So. Um, you know, I'm glad that I'm entertaining you to and from your place of uh, employment. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll aim for that. We'll we'll get them round about that kind of 30 minute mark. We'll keep them there. Um, we've got loads of suggestions for good topics. So I've I've even recorded a few of them already. Um, or partially recorded a few of them already um so we'll we'll make sure we address those topics uh one thing that a few people suggested and i really like the idea of this is people had said about making them a little bit more um interactive um and what 
we mean by that is, um, you know, the people who are listening, if you want to tweet me a question uh, um, at Ian Abernethy or email me at ian at ianabernethy.com, then we'll answer those questions in those podcasts so that every month we get the main theme, you know, the kind of the central bit that we've always had. And we'll also discuss uh, two or three questions at the end as well. So, you know, so give a, a bit of variety. And, and, and um, as I've always said, you know, these podcasts, as much as I enjoy making them, there'd be no point of making them if there wasn't people listening to them. <laughs> so uh, I, I quite like the idea of getting uh, the listeners to um, to give me your questions and I'll answer them kind of directly. If there are questions that are a bit in depth, then obviously we'll, we'll put them on the podcast list and we'll address them as main themes. But short to the point questions, you know, we'll answer them um, um, as each month goes by. We'll pick a couple out and we'll do a couple each month. So we've got that at the end of this as well. So when we've discussed the main thing, you've got a couple of extra uh, questions at the end. So, main theme for this month then is uh, knowledge is not power. So I want to look at, you know, knowledge in the martial arts, different kinds of knowledge, what knowledge is, what power is, and how the kind of two relate, you know. So, because, um, um, yeah, that was something else everyone said they like. You like it apparently when I kind of um, um, tell it like it is. <laughs> Seems to be quite popular. Um, uh, so when I go on one of my little rants almost and kind of, you know, this is what I think and this is why I think it. You know, people seem to like those. So that kind of is what this one turned into as well so um, <laughs> um it's good to know it's cathartic for you anyway so yeah so that's it okay knowledge is not power a well-used phrase is knowledge is power however when it comes to the martial arts knowledge is most certainly not power I think that we place far too much emphasis on knowledge and often fail to fully understand its limitations. I'd like to explore a few issues surrounding knowledge in this podcast. Uh, what knowledge is and the various types of knowledge will be discussed as we progress. However, I want to define power right now before we go any further. So power, in the dictionary that I have next to my desk, is defined as the ability to do work. Okay, so the ability to do work. And for the martial artist, that means the ability to injure our enemies. As I said a few moments ago, knowledge is not power. Knowledge on its own does not give us the ability to injure our enemies. It is therefore wrong to directly equate it with power in the martial arts, and yet we see this very often. In fact, I would go as far to say it's a growing and, well, to be honest, a worrying trend. Knowing a technique and being able to effectively apply it are two very different things. So much of modern martial arts people think that knowing a technique is all that is required. The troll YouTube, read the books, watch the DVDs, go to the seminars and falsely believe they know what has been presented. Sure, we need the knowledge as the base. We need to learn and expand our knowledge base too, but the problem we have is that so many think that the knowing gives them the ability to do, and it does not. Knowledge is not power. And I now like to explain why that's not the case uh, before finding what I think knowledge and power really are and the correct relationship between the two. I recall being at a seminar when an extremely talented world-level martial artist flawlessly demonstrated a ground fighting technique. As we moved away to practice it, I heard an obviously out of shape individual remark, yeah, I know that one already. I bit my tongue and concentrated on my own practice. However, what he failed to grasp was that we martial artists should not be collecting techniques in the same way a stamp collector collects stamps. Knowing something is not enough. It must be endlessly refined and drilled and tested if we're going to be able to actually apply it. The seminar instructor could apply that technique at a world level, and it would be my guess that that out-of-shape attendee could not even play it at a basic club level. 
know, but hey, he knew it, you know. Um, so there's the first thing we need to be aware of. Knowledge does not give you the ability to apply that knowledge. Knowing is not enough. We must endlessly drill and refine and develop all other supporting attributes if we're able to make uh, the techniques that we know actually work in reality. Now, one of the problems is that drilling and refining are hard work and some people simply don't want to work hard. A responsible instructor's response to this desire to take it easy should be, well, tough. You know, developing real ability takes work, and if you're not prepared to work, then you're never going to have any ability. However, people like the, the allure of that quick fix, and the unethical instructor is prepared to cater to that. We see people promising instant results if they know the secrets. You know, if can't hit, well, no problem. We'll show you the magical place to hit, and you can avoid all that hard work on the bag. Can't hit accurately, well, that's still no problem. We'll show you how to knock people down without even touching them, you know. It becomes more magic than martial, because only magic can give magic results. All the people I know who are very effective in the use of pressure points can hit very well regardless. You know, I'm thinking of the, the likes of your Russell Stutleys and your Vince Morrises. You know, they, they can hit well and fight well regardless of their ability to know pressure points as well. It's something they layer on top of skills that they already have. The, the teach striking areas in the correct context and know the importance of all other aspects of martial skill. You know, the ability to hit hard and the strategic way in which things should be used. Sadly, however, people want, you know, they like the, you know, just hit here idea, you know, I just kind of tap that point and the guy falls down and I don't need to sweat in the dojo. So sadly, the whole field of study gets a bad name from the many who see that kind of instruction and the many who teach pressure points as that kind of, you know, just tap here, no other skills needed approach. In modern martial arts, we also see people progressing through grades because they can demonstrate knowledge of a technique as opposed to actual ability. We see out of shape uh, dang grades, you know, who never sweat except possibly when walking up the stairs to the dojo, and they never push themselves and they never test themselves. A poor demonstration is all that's needed to show that they know the technique. Instead of working hard to get the basics right and have a solid core that will work under pressure, they instead prefer to know many techniques, none of which have been drilled or refined enough to actually work. This should be totally avoided because it's not about how much you know, but about how well you can do. I mean, this brings me to uh, the differential between what I call practical knowledge and theoretical knowledge. Now, theoretical knowledge is the things that we know in theory. Practical knowledge is the things that we can make practical use of. Now, it's very important that we don't confuse the two. When we first learn something, all martial knowledge is theoretical. First time you teach it, you know, it's, it's, it's theory, you can't use it yet. And as we've been discussing, this is not where we should stop. We need to drill, refine, apply and test in the hope of eventually making the theoretical practical. So I mean all of us will therefore have two pools of knowledge, that which we know in theory and that which we know in practice. So and as you know, using myself as a personal example, if someone was to ask me, you know, show me all the arm locks that I know, theoretically, I could easily show them well over a hundred, you know, and that would be the pool of my theoretical knowledge. However, if I was asked to show the number of locks that consistently work for me, then we'd be into single figures. Those locks that work for me are my practical knowledge. They're the small number of techniques that work for me, suit me, uh, suit my way of fighting, and I've, I've drilled and applied to the point where they're consistently applicable. Not that they work every time, it's just that they have a good chance of working. You know, the, the practical, the, my practical knowledge. 
Now, the theoretical knowledge pool is still useful as I can draw on that to enhance my practical knowledge. You know, so what's in my theoretical knowledge pool at the moment may, may one day, through you know hard work, be part of my practical knowledge. But that theoretical knowledge also helps me as a teacher because although certain techniques may not be practical or good options for me personally, they may be ideal for my students to take and make part of their practical knowledge. You know, so not everyone's built like me or has the same attributes as me. So as we've been discussing, one of the big problems in modern day martial art is that people don't make such distinctions between the theoretical and the practical and feel that knowing a technique is all that is needed. Knowing something theoretically and knowing something practically are miles apart. Another closely related distinction with regards to knowledge is experience or experiential knowledge versus non-experiential. Knowledge that comes from experience is much more valuable than knowledge, if we can demean the term knowledge by calling it that, gained from non-experiential sources. Now there's a, a saying which applies here, and that is that we should learn from the experience, not the learned. What this means for us as martial artists is that we need to be mindful of where the knowledge being imparted to us comes from. Is it from a source based on real life experience? Or is it based on the imaginings, thoughts and musings of someone who is not reality checking that information? Now, we see this a lot in the pages of the martial arts magazines and on internet forums where all opinions are regarded as being equal. Now sure, everyone has a right to an expressive view, but not all views are equal. Um, to use an analogy, in a court of law, the evidence of someone who was never there, but who had strong opinions on what happened, would be regarded as worthless. It should be the same with the martial arts, you know, just having a strong opinion on something doesn't matter. Um, it needs to be based on ex experience, you know, and like I say, it should be the same in the martial arts as it is in the law court, but often it isn't. Opinions based on actual experience that run contrary to the views of a given group are often viewed as an inconvenient truth, and therefore false. <laughs> so, let's say the view, it should be ignored or argue against with views that aren't based on actual experience. Now. To be clear, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out there and gain real-life experience, as that would run entirely uh, against the sound advice to stay away and avoid violent situations. You know, we have this paradox in the martial arts sometimes, you know, so, oh, it's very important to stay away and avoid violent situations, but unless you've experienced lots of violent situations, you're not a, you're not a real martial artist. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that all martial artists should acknowledge the lessons of those that have had that real-life experience and ensure that their training doesn't run contrary to those lessons. We should learn from the experience of those that have been there and make sure your training uh, reflects that and is in line with that. Because if it's not, you've got to ask why not. What, what, why do you feel you can override what someone who's actually been there and experienced it is saying, you know? Um, so, okay, so a country's armed forces trains its troops based on the lessons learned from actual warfare. That way, the troops' training reflects reality, and they, when they face reality, they're prepared for it. Now, martial artists need to do the same. I mean, knowledge is not power because we need the skills needed to apply that knowledge. However, non-experiential knowledge is totally worthless because it's entirely inapplicable. The only worthwhile knowledge is knowledge that comes from empirical experience. Right? Knowledge that's based on empirical experience. Knowledge based on opinion alone, we can't do anything with it. We can't ever apply it because it's inapplicable. In science, a theorem can only be overturned or refined if there's evidence that is consistent and repeatable to support that refinement or that rejection. Opinion is worth nothing. 
that opinion has to be based on something other than a personal viewpoint or a, um, a desire. Now, we see this in the martial arts a lot. Again, you know, people reinvent violence to fit their training, okay, instead of changing the training to fit violence. Okay, it was just to use another analogy, any product you buy, uh, hopefully, a good quality product, will have been tested and tested and tested again before it's made available for purchase. If you were to knock on your new computer and it exploded, you're unlikely to accept the following answer from technical support. Yeah, well, sure, you know, we ignored all the best practice in the field of computing. We never tested it before selling it to you. No one in this firm actually has any experience of working with computers. But it was our opinion that it would work just fine. You know, you wouldn't accept that. But martial art instructors get away with saying exactly that. The reason martial arts instructors can get away with this is that the majority of students will never knock the PC on. Right? They'll never have to face violence. And while it's a great thing that most of the people listening to this will not live in an area where life and death violence is an everyday occurrence, that does not absolve the instructor of the moral responsibility to reality check what they are teaching i.e. compare what they are teaching against the experience of those who faced reality and to realistically run the experiment and test in the dojo. If they're not doing that, then they're being negligent if they're claiming to teach something that has relevance to reality. Now, if they know what the teaching conflicts with the experiential knowledge of those who ex have experienced real violence and they ignore that, then they're being dishonest. And it's no exaggeration to say that they could be putting the students' lives at risk. So anyway, so hopefully we've established that knowledge does not give you the ability to apply that knowledge. And there's a huge difference between practical knowledge and theoretical knowledge. And that knowledge not based on the nature and demands of reality is totally worthless and that strong opinions are not substitutes for knowledge. So having, you know, acquired sound knowledge based on reality, how do we ensure we can apply that knowledge and make the leap from theoretical knowledge to practical knowledge? Now the answer is a very simple drill, test, refine, repeat. Okay? Drill, test, refine, repeat. So to break those down a little, we drill with ferocity and intensity so that we develop technical strength, physical strength, and mental strength. So we're technically, physically, and mentally capable of, of doing the technique. You know, we've drilled it that way. We test it realistically so that the mind, body, and technique are all pushed to their limits. We ensure the test is a true test and is in accordance with the experience of those who've had real-life experience. So, you know, testing on the basis of what somebody thinks violence is like, or, or, or doing a, a, a competition points-based match and then saying that's a realistic test of um, self-defense skills isn't true. You know, the, the, the testing that we do in the dojo needs to mirror real violence as, as effectively and as, as safely and as practically as we can. So we need to refine and address the areas of techniques, mental attributes, and our physicality that are not holding up when tested. So having done the test, we don't hold on to opinions that have proved false. We've got to let our egos go. So we refine, you know, we, we, after the testing, we see what's gone right, we see what's gone wrong, and we refine. And having refined, we drill some more, and we repeat the process endlessly. So we drill, we test, we refine, and then we repeat it. The drill, test, refine, repeat process will ensure that your knowledge becomes applicable. Knowledge does not equal power. Knowledge based on experience, plus intense drilling, plus realistic testing, plus honest and egoless refining equals power, and that equals the ability to effectively function in conflict.
Okay, so um, as I mentioned in the introduction, what I'd like to start doing in these podcasts is just, you know, answering questions as well and make them a little bit more interactive. I asked on uh, Twitter for some, got some great questions, loads of them in fact, but I'm just going to kind of, each month I'll, I'll pick a few out, you know, and um, we'll uh, we'll have a little discuss of them and hopefully it, it's interesting for uh, for everybody. So the first one we've got is for, these are all by Twitter by the way, from Twitter, so these LD Sims. Uh, said, you know, um, looking back, do you think the Japanese helped or hindered the growth of karate? Um, so I guess the inference is there is, you know, karate goes from Okinawa, uh, hits uh, Japan, um, gets declawed a little bit, you know, gets a dough concept added into it, gets very formalized, and, you know, um, we all know the kind of problems associated with that, you see. But, I mean, on balance, my view is, I think the Japanese uh, influence on karate helped it massively. And that this is the reason why. So although there's no doubt that some of the practices picked up during that time led to a lack of combative efficiency or a reduction in combative efficiency, one of the things that they did uh, definitely ensure it is, and part of the reason why they did that, of course, why they made these changes was to make it popular. Uh, you know, you've got a time where, you know, Japan's modernizing and the idea of, you know, doing something, you know, okay, you try selling something on the basis, you know, this will help you rip somebody's throat out, you know, it's, it's not going to work. You know, uh, the, the, the martial arts are regarded as being old or violent or, you know, unfashionable. So Kano does what he does with judo and everybody loves it. So the karate guys quite wisely just copy them. You know, they copy the suit, they copy the grading system, the style producing competitions they get a standardized form of practice they add the dough concept on it's about developing strong minds and bodies you know and, and that's very popular so hence it, it takes off and it spreads and if it hadn't done that of course you know i'm sitting here in england karate would never have reached here it would have been something practiced by you know a handful of people on the shores of okinawa that no one else would have ever heard of so for my perspective because i really like karate i'm glad I'm, I'm glad they did what they did and enabled it to spread and as it spread in the fashion that it did it's very easy to kind of you know to sharpen it back up and make use of it in a um a kind of pragmatic way should you should you choose to so on balance you know, i think the stuff that the japanese did were great i also think the, the other one that we sometimes neglect is the almost like that infusion of the bushido spirit that samurai spirit that intense regimented training you know it's you know you can overdo it you know um you, you, it, we don't want to get too formal with things it doesn't always produce the most productive uh, learning environment and it can become so sterile that it ends up not reflecting violence but in terms of the intensity that was added to the training again i think that's a very good thing and is just so massively important so i hope that kind of answers the question um and again if that question prompts any other questions then let me know the next question is from adam bockler uh, again through twitter and he said, uh, what martial arts have I not formally studied uh, that I would like to? So the thing for me, it's all training time. So the vast majority of my training time is spent in pursuit of the karate. You know, I, I do karate, I would like to think, to a very high level. So that's a key thing for me. In terms of other arts that I've studied, like the judo and things like that, they're, um, um, I'm recreational at those at best. You know, they're, they're things I'll spend a couple of hours on here and there. Um, the karate is the main thing. Um, I found the judo to be very beneficial. Uh, at the moment, my kind of training time is all um, taken up, so I haven't really got any time to formally add anything to it. But any opportunity I can get to spend any time with any martial artist, have a look at what they do, I'll take. I've never come across a martial art that didn't fascinate me. I've came across some that are regarded as being not that practical, or um, not for me, um, or just the, you know the ethos of it, or things just just didn't appeal, or whatever it was. But but they've, they've all fascinated me. I think it's good to expose yourself to as many different martial arts as uh, as possible, to train with people in different systems, even if it's just one course, to get a, you know just a look at it. You know, 
because what the thing I find, the more I find when I look at good practitioners of, of any martial art, it just inspires me no end. I just love being around high level practitioners. So the question, of course, is now that I've danced around it for a bit, <laughs> the question is, is what would I like to formally study? Uh, and I think the th- it might seem a bit of an odd one, this, but the thing I think I'd like to formally study next would be uh, firearms. Um, because the weapons training, I've done some of the classical weapons training, you know, I did a few years of Yaido and all that kind of stuff for, for interest. But, I, you know, I'm interested in learning, a, you know, a modern weapon, you know, and I think that obviously the firearm, you know, the handgun is that. It's not that easy to do in the UK, because for those who, um, and then, though there's a lot of you, most of the people listening to this are from outside the UK. Um, we, we, in the UK, um, have the strictest weapon laws anywhere else in, in the world, you know, with the exception of Japan. I think there's only Japan who has stricter weapons laws than we do. Um, so as a result, our Olympic shooting team, uh, a pistol shooting team, has to go overseas to practice. <laughs> so, um, and I, I did I did make a course to go over to the, the Czech Republic I, I, to do some uh, combative handgun training over there, uh, but it was cancelled due to, to, to lack of interest. Uh, when we were at the Expo, uh, I had a good chat with uh, Rory Miller about it. He was kind of showing me a couple of basics and stuff, and that just kind of enthused me that bit more. I think you know, so that that was something that I, I think I would uh, I would like to do is, is do some some firearms training. And due to the you know, it's been promised to me next time I visit the US, of quite a few guys have said you know we'll we'll take you out on a range and, and get you started. But you know, I'm looking to do a course, and if there's one within Europe, then I'm prepared to travel for it. So that's the uh, the next one for me. Um, okay, so um, we'll kind of do, you know, try and get a couple of questions in each month. Some of the questions that we've been given are, are, are so great, so kind of detailed and would, um, great as in vast. They're all good. But this uh, it would take more than, you know, just a kind of five, six-minute sec- uh, section at the end of a, the podcast to do. They're going to be full podcasts. But if you've got any questions, um, you can email them to me, ian at ianabernethy.com. Just put a uh, podcast question in the subject and the succinct and the briefer you can make it the more at the point the better or you can tweet it at um, at Ian Abernethy so that concludes this uh, section Well, that concludes uh, this month's podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, the knowledge is not power main section and those questions too. And, you know, keep those questions coming and we'll make sure we discuss them uh, all each month. Uh, just before I go, uh, I'd just like to uh, thank everyone who attended the Expo events in Coventry and Seattle. Um, I know it's a while ago now. It was in August, and but this is the first podcast since then. I, I just loved it. I loved spending time with the other instructors. They were all great fun, very knowledgeable guys. No one took themselves too seriously. All the attendees were just what martial artists should be. Um, keen, information hungry, uh, very open minded. It, it was just a blast. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so thanks to to oh yeah yeah and just before I forget, um, um, Chris. On the day before the uh, Seattle event, uh, we all went to Chris Wilder's house in the evening. Um, so there was myself, uh, Mark Animal McYoung, uh, um, Alan Peasland, Chris Wilder, obviously, uh, Nicholas Yang, and Rory Miller. Okay, so we all sat around the table, uh, had a beer or two, and had a conversation on all things Marshall, and we recorded it all. Um, so that was Chris's idea, it was a great idea. Chris is uh, editing those together. 
he's putting the um, some graphics to it and he's putting them up on uh, YouTube. What I've also done with those, um, they're on my website too, which I've, I've flippantly called the League of Super Friends. <laughs> so <laughs> you can find that on the, if you go to the news page, uh, the, the news section, you'll find it uh, on there. Just just flick through until you, you see it, you know, the Expo podcast. Um, it got, they've been released in 10-minute segments, so um, every, every kind of, you know, few weeks or so there'll be another one and, and you know, I'll obviously add all those to my site as when they come out as well but keep an eye on those because it was it was a good conversation and i think you'll in, you'll enjoy those and i mean how often do you get you know a group of people like that round the table to instantly discuss all things it was really good so i think you'll really enjoy that so okay so yep i'm going to shut up before i'm in danger of overrunning too much so uh, thanks once again for listening any feedback of course by all means let me know uh, your questions uh, let me know and i'll be back next month um keep an eye on the website for all the new stuff between now and then as well of course and yeah have a good month and i'll see you next month okay have fun take care bye now bye bye